welcome to the Mile 99 Interview Series Podcast with your hosts, Paulo Medina and Greg Larkin. Wherever you're listening, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome to our third episode of the Mile 99 Interview. The Mile 99 Interview Series is basically a series of interviews where we talk to uh, local runners in Auburn, and we learned a little bit more about them, and we learned what makes them tick. And today, uh, and we are broadcasting from Auburn. I am at the Eighth Station, uh, running a store um, here in the in the heart of Auburn. We are about half a mile from the trailhead and half a mile from the Western States finish line. And I'm here with my co-host Greg Larkin. Greg. Thank you, Paulo. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, uh, people on the Zoom session. Welcome, all our uh, Facebook Live viewers. Uh, we really appreciate you all showing up uh, for our third episode, as Paulo mentioned. And as he said, uh, this is our weekly interview series where we're really just trying to get everybody in the community together while we've been under uh, a little bit of lockdown. Things are starting to open up a little bit, so that's a good sign. Um, but, you know, slow and steady, that, that wins the race. And uh, so we're here just to kind of uh, meet some new people every week that are um, in our ultra running community, find out what makes them tick, find out uh, some of the interesting things that they've uh, experienced uh, out in the world of racing and training. And uh, today, yeah, we're very pleased to have our guest, uh, Karen Bonet Natraj. And uh, welcome. Thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys for inviting me. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, every week, I'm going to probably say this. I just can't stop writing questions. I've got so many questions that we can a ask you. <laughs> and I know it'll take, you know, more than an hour. But we'll try to keep it to around an hour. Uh, so anybody that's not familiar with the format so far, uh, what we do is we spend a little time asking some questions that we've prepared uh, based on some of the information that our guests uh, give us every week. And then we spend maybe like 10 minutes or so at the end doing a live audience Q&A. So anybody on the Zoom session, please feel free to use the chat window. Uh, we've got Mike Turner, the inspiration for this series, by the way, uh, back there monitoring the chat. And uh, he's great at just kind of uh, getting some questions that people have, and then he'll start calling on people on the Zoom session towards the end. Anybody on Facebook Live, obviously we can't see you, but feel free to post some questions on the uh, Facebook Live post as well. And he'll be checking those. and. Uh, you can also read those to us uh, as we go towards the end. And I'm sure uh, Karen would love to hear some of the interesting questions that you have for her. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's dig in. Paulo, would you like to take yeah. it away? For sure. Uh, Karen, uh, so part of our, part of us getting ready for the interview with you today, we tried to stalk you a little bit uh, online and we tried to learn a little bit about your background. And uh, we learned that you grew up in Covina, near the Angeles National Forest. And uh, we learned that you were really near all the big hill and mountains over there. Um, did, you, did you get um, the urge to explore that when you were young? Did you get a chance to spend a lot of time in the, in the wilderness? Well, we were, I was fortunate to grow up in a house that had, um, our backyard was rolling hills and there was a dam called Puddingstone Dam that was about four miles away. And there was horses and cows and shepherds that used to come out there. So I used to crawl over the fence and go hiking out there and exploring. And so that's what got me kind of into that, the outdoors, I would, I should say, you know, it's, it was deep in my heart. Um, but when, um, when I was young, we, we went up to Big Bear a lot and camped, family camping. Um, but I never did, you know, any other exploring the mountains as a youngster. And when I moved away from there, I was 13. So I still, I was pretty young and then moved up to the Bay Area. Nice. But you did, uh, I, I guess uh, it sounded like getting a little bit of trouble every now and then exploring <laughs> those hills back there and oh, yeah. sort of like... What was the thing that drew you out there initially? I mean, it sounds like you may have come from a slightly somewhat active family or something like that, or did, was it just something you just saw and just wondered what, what's, what's out there? You know, I think it was, um, 
I just remember we were driving and being next to mountains. I'm always wondering what's on top. And I was curious what was over on the other side. And so I had that, you know, at home, I had the opportunity to just take off. And then, you know, I always came home and got grounded, but, <laughs> but I still did it again. But yeah, I was always curious what was, what was on top of those mountains? How do you get up there? You know, just as a little kid, I remember when we would go driving and just looking out the windows and just the curiosity of nature. Yeah. So Karen, so will you say that, uh, that that curiosity of nature is what uh, eventually drew you to get into running and outdoor sports? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. And that sort of happened a little later. Is that right? Like yeah. in your life? A lot later in my life. The running started a lot later in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I sort of took a left turn, had kids, <laughs> went through school, raised kids, and then got into my, my own life of, um, you know, cycling and running and Ironman and stuff like that. So during, during the times of uh, being a parent, uh -huh. um, with with um, younger children uh do you do anything physically do you were you actively an athlete i mean i'm sure that you did physical stuff but do you have one uh sport that you were always drawn to so when i was raising the kids i was um into bodybuilding okay i was, I was lifting weights and really into bodybuilding i figured i better stay strong because i had three kids that i had to stay up with but I wasn't into sports. They were all in sports. I had them doing swimming and soccer and baseball and all that stuff. And it wasn't until after they were older. Um, and the first thing that I think hooked me was um, my brother, Paul. He's down there with that big, long name down there. Um, he and my other brother, we uh, formed a team, um, the Cocapelli team, and we rode the MS-150 ride which took us from Phoenix to Parker in Arizona. And it was me, my three brothers, and my oldest son, who was probably maybe 10 at the time. Mm -hmm. And then his, Paul's sons, a couple of his sons, and we rode our bicycles. And it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever done. I went out and I bought this a little, um, bike at the Goodwill place and my, gave my son my mountain bike and we trained a little bit and then we went and rode the MS-150 and then I was, I was hooked on riding, just hooked. And so when, at that time I was living in Arizona and when I moved back to California is when I started cycling and I got into what I really wanted to do was aspire to do was a hundred mile bike ride. And then that turned into 200 mile bike rides. <laughs> <laughs> And so was the MS-150, was that a 150-mile ride then? Yeah, we did okay. it. They, they did it in two days. So we drove, or we rode oh. half of it. They camped and they fed us. And we all got up the next day and we finished off the route. Yeah. Nice. And so was that your first time riding that distance ever? Right. And you would, like, how much training did you do prior to that on the bike? Um, not a lot. You know, I'm, I made my son and I go out. Um, on the weekends, you know, work and school during the week. Um, and we would go out and ride maybe 20, 25 miles was the most we did. So <laughs> was this, was this, um, road cycling with this in a, yeah. uh, were, were you riding a mountain bike or, or did you guys get into it and, and got perfectly fitted and that kind of stuff just building your way up? Well, I had a mountain bike, just a generic mountain bike at the time. So I let him ride that. And then I went to Phoenix and my brother helped me find a, it was a little Terry bike that had, um, it was um, kind of like a track bike because it had a small front wheel. Familiar with that. And, okay. and I rode yeah. that. I trained on that and rode that. So I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about long distance cycling. I didn't know anything about, um, yeah, I didn't know anything about long distance cycling, but I knew how to ride a bike because I always mm -hmm. rode a bike as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know anything about the long distance stuff. And then when we did that, it just was, it was so much fun. You know, yeah. I, was, I was hooked on exploring now what, what, uh, what I could get myself into. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Nice. laughs> 
quite the, uh, yeah, definitely those long distances on the bike. I mean, as I may have mentioned, like I come yeah, from a cycling background and yeah. and yeah, I mean, you can cover some serious distance, you know, in five or six hours. And it sounds like you were able to do that. Um, and then from there, I mean, you started getting into like the ultra cycling events, right? I mean, right. just kind of moving up the the distance ladder as it were sort of the same way a lot of us have with trail running i mean you start out small and then think well what's the next distance i can do and what's the next distance but can you talk a little bit about like the subculture of ultra cycling and what that's like and um and what some of the distances are that you're covering so my first aspiration was to do a hundred mile bike ride and that was i trained for that and that was darn not exciting. There was, I've been living in here in Sacramento. So Davis had the um, Foxy Fall, which is a hundred mile bike ride. Um, and then uh, the following year, I believe I did my first 200 mile bike ride, which would be the Davis Double. And then that sort of morphed into, well, let's see how many 200 mile bike rides I could do. Mm. And so I want to say, I believe I did 10 in one year. Um, it might've been around 98 ish. I have to get, I, I should have gotten the Jersey to see it. How my, it has on the Jersey, but I, I won the triple crown. So of the double centuries, um, if you do three double centuries, they call that a triple crown. Mm-hmm. And that year I had done, I, I think I did 10 and I won the triple crown. Um, nice. plus the cumulative time, you know, that uh, between all the races, I was, you know, first. So I did that. And then um, I was riding a lot with the Davis Bike Club. And those people started talking about the randonneering and the brevets. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? And so then I kind of morphed into that, that line. And those, that, these are ultra, ultra distance cyclists because we do up to 1,200 kilometers. Mm. And the, the qualifying rides and the rides they do is a 200, 300, 400, and 600 kilometer rides. And I was doing that multiple years. Wow. And then they started talking about Paris, Brest, Paris. So I, Paris, Brest, Paris is a 1200K in Paris, rides to Brest and back. Um, and that's like the... Um, Boston Marathon to Marathoners and the Western States to 100 Milers and Paris, Brest, Brest, Paris, Brest, Paris, Brest, Paris to the 1200 Ks. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to do that, but I wasn't sure I could accomplish a 1200 Ks. So I rode my first one here in Davis and we rode from Davis to the Davis Creek, which is about the Oregon border and back. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. 74 hours and you have a 90 hour limit. Oh, I was going to ask you about if they had cutoffs sort of the same way that ultra ultra running uh, events do. Right. And so they had at uh, every particular um, kilometer, you know, maybe a 200 K they would have a checkpoint Mm. and you'd have to, you have a card and you have to have it signed and you, you know, initial the time you were there and all. So there's, all these checkpoints all along the ways. Right. Um, and so all their, so all their questions. So I imagine I always get this question as a runner and um, I always in my mind, I think, what are you thinking? But I'm going to ask it. And this is, this is 1200 kilometers without sleeping. Right. So you have up to 90 hours and you take your time as you wish. So you manage your time the same, the same way that perhaps a 200 mile, run would right you can do it you can sleep as much or as little as you need right um because it's all cumulative so when um we did it we rode um let's see i'm gonna i'll talk about paris breast paris there's three hour times that you could start an 80 hour group an 84 hour group in a 90 hour group. And so I started in the 84 hour group. So I chose to basically say, I'm going to finish 1200 K in eight, within the 84 hours. And so we started at, I don't know, like five o'clock in the morning. And so we rode through the first night 
into um, probably the mid morning of the next day and slept. And we slept two hours. <laughs> mm. and, and then we got up and did it again. And then we finished. But I slept the first night um, two hours and I didn't sleep the second night. And I was riding with some friends. You know, we were, we had kind of a group of people that we were riding with. Um, and I remember just sitting in this stinky, um, like barn room with all these stinky riders <laughs> sleeping and snoring in the other room, waiting for them to wake up and let's go ride. Wow. Um, so it's, it's, um, yeah, just like in a hundred, do I'm going to stop and sleep? No. I still had, you know, I don't do that. I, I got so used to being up and my energy is pretty high that mm. I didn't require um, all that sleeping. <laughs> so it really sounds like this might have pretty direct um, transference to like something like the Tahoe 200 where it's long enough where you probably have to sleep, but you have to make those decisions about when and how much and, and all those things. And it sounds like the duration is similar. So, and I, I have some questions about the Tahoe 200, but maybe we'll just dive right in now since we're sort of talking about a somewhat equivalent thing in the cycling world. Like, do you see a lot of uh, comparison between like the 1200 kilometer ultra cycling and something like Tahoe 200? Has that like entered your mind at all? Or, you know, and it sounds like, I think reading online, it sounds like you might have Tahoe 200 in, in your sites at some point in the future. Yeah, I have, I have my husband and I have talked about that. We've, we want to do that. Um, it's just when, you know, <laughs> right now it's like, I'm not sure when, but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I know that training my body through these 600 Ks, I never, I didn't sleep. Um, 1200 Ks, I slept a little bit. It taught me how to go through the night. And you can, because I remember the first time, the, the, 12, the first 1200 K I did, I was hallucinating. And, and that was pretty trippy. <laughs> but after that first time and you learn how to go through it, I think it helped a lot running the hundred milers. Um, and I don't, I don't sleep on a hundred milers. Some people do. Some people have to stop at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And I know somebody very special in my heart that does that every time. <laughs> <laughs> you might be on the call, perhaps. <laughs> I think you got the call. <laughs> nice. Well, that, yeah, it definitely sounds like it'll mentally, it'll, it'll be prepared for pre preparing you for the Tahoe 200 uh, when that comes to pass. Sorry, Paula, exactly. I think I cut you off there. So will you, will you say that, for example, I'm going to use uh, Western States because it's a race that we're all very familiar with, with the 30 hour cutoff time. Um, is riding, is riding a bike for 30 hours comparable to running for 30 hours? No. 30 hours, 30 hours um, would be a uh, 600K um, or more actually. Yeah. No. Um, no, running is a different animal in itself um, because you're pounding your body more. It takes a lot more out of your body. And the bike, you have the bike handling skills and you're sitting on the seat and you can coast and you can get off the bike and, do, do different positions. So this is a little bit different. Um, um, maybe for, maybe for, um, I guess, exhausting yourself out, maybe a hundred mile run could be compared to a 600 K bike ride. Okay. Good. Good. Apples to apples. <laughs> yeah. I kind of always liked that idea back when I was a bike racer that you could even race like multiple days in a row and, sort of recover. Of course, I was 30 years younger at the time, but you could sort of recover. Like you couldn't do that with a, well, some people should, shouldn't say that. Some people do ultras back to back, but, but yeah, it's just, it's a different animal, I guess. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so I guess, um, obviously one of the things that, uh, and switching gears here a little bit, um, one of the things that I think you're, you're pretty well known for in the last few years is your, uh, your finish at the 2017 Western States. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Karen finished with nine seconds to spare, uh, before the 30 hour cutoff. And there's some really dramatic videos of that online. And I'm just going to share, uh, one of those really quickly just to sort of 
set the tone <laughs> for the next uh, little segment here. If, if uh, you can get me set up here, hold on one moment. Let's see, I'm just share my screen. Okay, here we go. This will do it. Okay, hopefully you can see my YouTube window here. for uh thanks for indulging me there uh just i just love that video i, I love that that ending um it's just it's incredible um that's your your husband there um and i believe your brother was your pacer at that point brother, that's the guy in the green shirt that had to go to his knees to get as tall as me that's right <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i mean i guess the question you know and i'm sure you've been asked this many times but just to kind of fill people in here um just like what's going through your head on that final lap? I mean, if you can just sort of set the stage for that. On the final lap? Oh my or, God. or coming around the coming around the final curves yeah. of the, of the um, track there. If I could take it all the way back to Roby Point. Sure. Because I was scared to death at Roby Point. Mm -hmm. I was literally scared to death and I didn't have anything but my eye focused on that tall guy in the green shirt. And I remember him asking the aid station, is there a 20 minute cutoff here? And they said, there's no cutoff. And then they told us how, what time, and then I realized what, how much time I had. And Paul's, Paul's panicking. I mean, I, I didn't have any more panic in me. I'm scared, scared, running in fear. And then running down Finley, he was, you know, you got to be on the track in two minutes. And it was like, well, all I, I couldn't feel my legs. I had no idea if I was going to do an asphalt face plant. I was scared I was going to do that. And I had all these people around me that I had no clue who's running with me. I'm just focused. And I was scared. And I honestly, I could not feel my feet. And I was just hoping that I wouldn't trip. And then on the track, you know, I just get on the track. They told me to get on the track. And then now he's yelling at me to get in that first lane. I'm like, okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that boy can run a seven-minute mile. How can I stay with him? He's got these long legs. And I don't know what time it is. And the whole place is just vibrating with everybody screaming. And just coming around the track, I'm like, I had no clue what time it was. I didn't know what was going on, but I was just following his, just watching his footsteps. And then when I came far around to the far side, I could see that it said um, 295934. And then that first thought was, thank God it's not any further. I think I can make it. <laughs> And you sure did. Um, down. <laughs> yeah. And now, did, I mean, did you have a target time for that race in mind for, for that, that day? Like, had, had you set anything goals for yourself? Uh, I thought, oh, I could do this in 27 hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was a tough year in the beginning miles. I mean, yeah, it, it, was. it was just very, very slow going, right? It was. It really was. Um, I, I never had... Um, the fear up in the high country. I had the determination of plowing through that mud. That mud went up past almost up to my hips, you know, just sinking in it. And then the rivers underneath the, underneath the snow was just, oh my gosh, it was so unbelievable. And I thought I was moving well, I was moving forward, but obviously not that fast. Because Natu planted in my head to beat a Red Star before five hours, and I got there in 440. Wow. <laughs> nice. And Apollo, you ran that year, right? Yeah, I was actually It's uh, reminiscing of that those first 30 miles. Um, 
because I know, you know, we, we, we spoke to Kelly Barber last week and Kelly also ran that year. Right. Um, and I remember that year, like, you know, there's a lot of things that I've worked really hard to forget about that day. It's, uh, uh, but there's a few things that I still remember. And I, yeah, I remember being in the high country and, um, it was a mess. It was like, at some point I'm going this way and somebody's calling me this way because you, there, there wasn't really a way for them to mark the trails. Uh, so it was hard to follow the trails if, uh, if there was a gap in between runners. Um, the, and, and the mud and the, and the conditions were really hard. It was really hot. It wasn't, it wasn't just messy. Um, but I remember that I still kind of kicked myself in the ass because Sam said, why don't you put a hat on before, you know, when the start of the race and I don't wear hats. It's, uh, but I said, no, I don't need a hat. And all the way to Robinson Flat, it's uh, all of this was just baking. And I was, I keep grabbing snow and put that in my head and try to get it in there. Um, right. So, yeah, we, I think everybody had to adapt their day to the conditions. Um, and then there were those like Kelly Barber who um, had a really good plan from the beginning and stuck to it and did really well. It's um, Karen. So, um, uh, so how many times have you run Western States? I've started four times. Okay. I've finished three times. Okay. And out of those three times that you finish, um, and were you at any other, were you any of those three times, any of those two other two times as close to that being the last finisher? Mm-hmm. No. Would you say that it had to do with the, with the conditions of the day? Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with Kelly uh, because he had the skiing background. And when he talked about that, I'm like, I mean, how helpful could that be? I had no idea how to maneuver through snow. Yeah. And so I just sort of, you know, took some people's advice prior, a few days earlier. They say, well, this is kind of how you do this and put it to practice and kept my shoes on and <laughs> kept moving forward. Yeah. I grew up in Peru, so it's uh, snow. Is that is a thing that accumulates on top of the freezer? Right. Uh, it's uh, yeah. That's that was as close as snow as I as I got as a kid. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, one of the things if if I can say for those watching is that one of the huge mistakes I did that day was that I started the race with my good pair of shoes because everybody has a good pair of shoes when you're going to go into a hundred miler, and when I got to Robinson Flat. I decided to take him off because they were soaking wet. Uh, you know, I had spent the past the previous five, six hours uh, with wet feet. And I decided to put on a, a new pair of socks and my old pair of shoes. And my old pair of shoes were a pair of hookahs um, that had way more miles than I ever needed. And they had a little gap right here. Um, so... I spend the remaining of the race just pretty much running as if you were running with sandals. You know, when you grab, you kind of grab onto the sandals so they don't fall off. That's what I was doing with my shoes. So Ouch. my toes don't come out of those holes. <laughs> and um, yeah, so take care of your feet. Uh, have a good plane. And uh, don't think that you're going to run 30 miles in the snow and not get wet. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, yeah, don't, don't. Uh, don't look for reasons. Try to. This is one of those times where it's okay to fix something that is not broken yet. Mm. Don't wait for something to break to fix it. Get on things uh, quickly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's sort of going in that direction, sort of more on, on the mental aspect, though, Karen. Like, and this is more of a general question that you could address with any race, I suppose, um, but maybe interesting for this one is you know, when you run into these situations and you said you're running scared, I mean, you're, you're fearful, like you've dedicated months and months of training and years of training really to get to this point, things have been going sideways right from the get go. It sounds like, or pretty early in the race, you know, slow, slow times, slow conditions, like what kinds of, um, you know, 
internal self-talk and other kinds of um, attitude adjustments that you have to make mentally to kind of just keep yourself moving forward, no matter what the cutoff clock was saying at the various aid stations or wherever you were, how did you kind of like adjust yourself in that moment to, to just say, I'm just going, like this is happening? So the biggest, the time that that was most relevant was when I was getting into the canyons. Mm. Um, Cause when I left, when I got to Robinson, of course I'm crying. <laughs> and I was too. Natu and Natu and Paul are like, you're doing great. Just keep moving forward. And I get to, um, what's the one after Robinson? Um, uh, uh, maybe it was, it was last chance. Okay. Um, and then I'm heading down into the canyons and at last chance I knew I was still, I'm still chasing it. And so I was constantly looking at my watch and I'm constantly trying to figure this stuff out and I'm had the clock in my head and I had all this craziness going on. And then I just, you know, I knew, I knew that that was the negative energy that was draining me. I knew that if I kept in that fear, um, I would, I wasn't going to get anywhere. I, I knew it. And so I just, kind of let go of that. And because when you get into the canyons, that is the most beautiful part of the race. And you're up on this single track. If nobody's ever ran Western States, you're on this single track and the, the river is just miles down below and it's just powerful. And so I'm out there thinking, well, you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I got to do my best and I'm just going to enjoy this. And it was the energy through my body was just like, then I was like free to run mm. as opposed to, you know, you know, criticizing myself, you know, telling myself how oh, I'm not fast enough on and on and on. So um, it was, it was just, it was, I was just going to do my best. And the other thing that occurred to me was that I had no lights <laughs> and I told my crew I'm going to be in Michigan Bluff by 7.30. No problem. But nobody thought about that when I got to Robinson Flat. And um, then I realized, am I even going to make it by dark? And so my, my main focus there was to just um, push hard and get to Michigan Bluff before dark. Mm. And I got there because I don't know who was with me, but I had a bunch of people behind me. <laughs> I don't know where I picked them up. Um, but we got there just at the brick of dark and I, I didn't want to run in the dark. And so, um, yeah, I think that the transition of changing my mindset and just embracing where I was at, just loving the nature and just let go of the outcome. Yeah. I, really I find, I find that's, that's a great motivator and just really speaks to being present and being aware of your current, you know, situation and if it does take a minute to sort of stop and just appreciate where you are and the fact that you're out doing this amazing thing with your body and, and your mind um, that can really make a huge difference so it sounds like you've got that nailed pretty well oh. yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's really hard sometimes to take a step back and separate yourself from the pain you're physically feeling to appreciate appreciation to where you are right. uh, because yeah you are you know when you're getting into the canyons you're a mile 40 into western states 100 right it's uh, in this particular example and it's um you know it's well yes it's it takes a lot of work to get into the race whether it's through the lottery uh all the training that goes into it so yeah it's it's um we all need to take a minute and, and just separate ourselves. And it's like, okay, I heard, but I still get to be here. I, I get the opportunity to, to climb up Devil's Thumb and, you know, go down the Lorado Creek and climb up to Michigan Bluff and go down to Volcano Canyon and climb up <laughs> to Forest Hill. So, yes, uh, next time that any of you guys are there, I appreciate it. Okay. It's a, uh, because it might take another 15 years for you to get back in. <laughs> for sure. Uh, 
<laughs> so, so yeah, so that's great. I mean, I think that's, that sounds like one of the great ways to just kind of check yourself, build some toughness, you know, and, and, and also I think, I don't know if, if you've done this or not, but maybe think about working on that kind of thing outside of a race, you know, in training or not even in training and just, and, and cultivate that kind of like present moment awareness. Uh, have you done anything like that and mindfulness or anything like that? Well, you know, that's a great question because that's what I coach about. That's okay. what my life coaching is about. And Perfect um, segue. <laughs> Let me share the screen again while you keep talking. Um, because it's about our internal energy. And um, yeah, that's my website. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Wanted to that um, up and I, I have to say, because that year... Um, I had just been certified as a life coach and so that I had already gone through a huge transition in myself and I knew what the energy inside me was going to do to me and that's what I do with call my clients too is work with their internal energy and you know I, I have this amazing assessment that I give my clients um, but it's it's powerful because we don't know that we don't pay attention to ourselves and our internal energy and how it shows up in our daily lives right and what shows up in our daily lives is going to show up in our runs mm -hmm. and in our events or our bike races or whatever. Um, and it's that internal talk chatter that we do when we get ourselves stuck into those moments. And so it's knowing that we have a choice and let's just change that. And if we take a day, a moment and try to just be in that present moment, it's amazing what your mind opens up to. You know, what's, what's sitting right here in front of you. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I think a lot of us can use, use that, especially yeah, when we're in those, those tough situations, whether right. it's life or a race or, or something that's just challenging us. So, so that's great. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd encourage people to go check out Karen's coaching site. It was karenbonetcoaching.com. So feel free to check that out and learn some more. Yeah. I know Paulo's itching to uh, ask you some questions about the grand slams. Um, so take it away. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I've got to say, while I'm very familiar with trail running and ultra running, I am not very well informed with the Grand Slam. So it's, uh, I want to take this opportunity to learn more about it. And I want you to help us, uh, you know, to share your experience with the Grand Slam. Right. So, uh, for example, in 2015, uh, you run Western States in under 24 hours. And just three weeks later, no, in 2015, you run Western States. And three weeks later, you run Vermont 100 in under 24 hours. Uh, it's uh, That's that's a, a pretty great comeback uh, from Western States. Um, and so can you tell us what is a Grand Slam for those that are not familiar with it and what it entails and how do you get in? So currently the Grand Slam is a series of five races and it's um, Old Dominion, Western States, Vermont, Leadville, and Wasatch. You have to do Wasatch, and Wasatch can be provisional if you finish three of the other four. And so um, in 2015, I got into Western States. And, and in 2015, when I got into Western States, all I was doing that year was Western States and the Boulder Ironman. Okay. And yes. in... January or February that that probably around January somebody uh, messaged me hey have you ever thought about doing the Grand Slam I'm like what the heck is that and so the problem with me is that when somebody plants something like that in my head I just get this burning desire like oh my god let me check it out and so I signed up for the Grand Slam and there's a Grand Slam website Stan Jensen runs it and you can sign up for this Grand Slam and and that year I needed to complete Western States, um, Vermont, Leadville, and Wasatch. 
And I was on a roll. I did Western States. And then, yes, again, I was blown away by doing 24, 20, 30 at Vermont. <laughs> I've never ran, a, you know, a hundred milers three weeks apart. And then um, between Vermont and Leadville was five weeks. And I had already signed up, like I said, to the Boulder Ironman. So I did an Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> And the best part of that Ironman was I got a slot to Kona. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, uh, that's what I've been, my dream is get a slot to Kona. So hold and, on, let me, let me stop you. So at that point, after the Ironman, then you knew that you would be doing Kona at the same year. Um, okay, just trying to, trying to put myself in that. Oh, yeah. When you do an Ironman and you qualify for Kona, you sign up right then and there and yeah. you pay for it and everything. Yeah. So I was signed up. But it happens the same year. It happens the same year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was going to be that October, I think. Yeah. Was Kona. Okay. So, and I went and ran Leadville and I, and I finished Leadville and I was just, I was on a roll. I was on a healthy roll. I just felt strong. I felt good. I started Wasatch. <clears throat> and there was a buddy of mine who was going for his 10th Wasatch. And that was real special to him for many reasons, um, family and his dad and all. And so he was going to run with me, make sure I got my Grand Slam. And so we were running together. And Wasatch kept this trail in that they knew was falling apart. And... Um, I was running right along this single track and it was overgrown and the trail was falling apart. I stepped in a hole 10 miles into the race and broke my ankle. Ugh. I twisted and got, uh, had a high ankle sprain all up my leg, but I didn't know I broke it. <clears throat> it hurt really bad, but I didn't believe I broke it because I still had Kona and I can recover from this. <laughs> <laughs> So now I'm the last runner with Ernie helping me and we had to get to climb up out of that <clears throat> over boulders and rocks and whatnot. And then it was a good five miles down to the aid station. And it was all I could do to create this um, wobble. And then um, a gentleman in his eight, on his ATV came, had come up. He was there, him and his girls were out there doing a fun ride and picked me up. Um, took me to the station, <laughs> flew home, and I had a broken ankle. I broke, I fractured the little bone on the outside of your ankle, and then I had a high ankle sprain. Mm. And now you were able to recover from that though by the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Next year. Did I? Next it, year, okay. It took me a year to recover okay. from that. Yeah, I think I was looking at the wrong thing. I was looking at some other result. Then I was, I was thinking you somehow did the, the across the years race, but that must have been the following year you eventually did that. No, I actually I did do across the years that year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come to think of it, I walked it. I, I think oh, you I did. Walked, yeah, I walked it, and so it was rehab. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, it was. Um, yeah, it still hurt. I, it wasn't until uh, March that I think the bone was actually healed. I don't mm -hmm. think the bone was really healed then. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, that's pretty What amazing. I did was I was, you know, if my ankle swelled up, I went and laid in the tent, put my leg up, and if I could walk the next day, I did it. I think I did 100 miles. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I saw on Ultra Sign Up was you did a little <laughs> over 100 miles in 48 hours, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> So, That's my slowest. <laughs> okay. I forgot about that. About that one. <laughs> That's pretty incredible right there. <laughs> so now you've got plans to, to go back to the, and uh, attempt the Grand Slam again from what we understand. Yeah. I'm, I'll finish it. Mm -hmm. I will finish it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing you didn't get to go to Kona that year. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, so it's triathlon is still a great part of your life and your training. I know that you were when we spoke earlier this year before uh, we all 
had to hunger down and shelter in place. Uh, we spoke about Ultraman, right? Which I believe is twice is two times the Iron Man, but on separate days. Is that correct? Um, it's it's kind of convoluted. It's the Iron Man's swim is a two point four. The Ultraman is six point two. The thing K swimming. Yeah. Uh, in swim, so it's a three day event. Is a ten k swim with a ninety mile bike ride on the first day, and every day is capped for twelve hours. The second day is one hundred and seventy one miles on the bike, and the third day is a fifty two point four mile run. Okay. All right. That there. that that falls right into the category of oh well, this sounds exciting. Let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> So are you currently still training for that? It's uh, what is the word on on the Ultraman? Supposedly, uh, well, yeah, obviously, you know, they they shut it down. So supposedly, it's rescheduled for November thirteenth. But who knows? And yes, I'm training. Um, I'm I'm maintaining because if I is as long as I don't hear anything otherwise, my tr serious training will start back up in July. Mm. So I'm sort of grateful in one sense because I get to do more open water swimming. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the pool because the training here was in the pool and the swim on the event it was in arizona the swim on the event was the it was in a lake okay so this way i can become a better open water swimmer <laughs> which is my more time to train right <laughs> mm -hmm. i got the bike and the run down i got the bike down really well i'm i've gotten really strong in the bike Excellent. Yeah. I mean, you've got so many years from these different disciplines to draw upon too. And then you basically just put them all together for this, for this event. It sounds like. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Uh, so I, I want to just, um, unless, did you have more questions about Grand Slam or anything like that, Paula? I'm getting to it. Yeah, it's, uh, but I think we can move uh, forward from the Grand Slam just because okay. I'm in. Yeah, we're just kind of keeping an eye on time. But one of the things I, I did want to touch on quickly, um, uh, your husband, Natu, he's on the call right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know that, that you guys met sort of, I think, through uh, running. And, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on anything there. But since then, um, you know, I was looking at both of your ultra sign-up results. <laughs> and you know, combined, I mean, you've got over 250 finishes between the two of you from what I saw. And, and I'm guessing lots more that aren't on ultra sign-up. Um, so both very prolific uh, runners and, and finishers of these incredible races all over the world, really, or all over the, at least country. Have you raced outside of the world or outside of the world, outside of the country? Oh, yeah, because we've gone to UTMB. We've, oh. uh, he's done, he's done uh, we've been to Greece. Nice. Yeah. But really all over the world. Nice. And uh, so one of the things I was just, I'm just interested in, just in terms of like partnership and and kind of like the dynamics of the fact that you're both in this really intense sport um, you know, crewing each other, pacing each other, like, I guess the big question is like, how does it work? Like, how do you make that work? Is it tough sometimes? Is it easier other times? Like, are there anything, any, any advice you can give to people that might be interested in doing something like this with their partner? And they're just not quite sure, like, how is this all going to work with all the commitments to family and friends and everything that goes on in life? You, have you, have you found the magic secret at all, I guess? Well, <laughs> I think our advantage is that we're older in life and our kids are raised, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's pretty good. And then we both um, are pretty independent, but connected. Mm. And we found that it works really well for both of us crewing and uh, yeah, crewing pacing and then the runner and very few races do we run together. We can run, if we run a race together, it's, because we don't have to drive very far afterwards. You know, just, one of us has to get us home. <laughs> and so Vermont's one that we run together. Um, we have ran, early on we ran a few together, but we just find it better that if we sign up for races that we can support each other and run, you know, ourselves. So um, we've, we work well with the crewing and then figure out somehow logistic wise of how he's going to pace me or I'm going to pace him. And so um, if we have friends that help us out or not, but we usually figure out and most of the hundreds are pretty accommodating to how we can do that. Or sometimes it's not, it doesn't work out. And a two does a great job running the whole hundred by himself. He's, he's a great solo runner. 
And me, I like the company. <laughs> I, like, I like to have someone with, with me at night. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we just have, you know, what I did do um, last year, because it was pretty intense between the Ultraman hundreds and on and on, um, was get a full year calendar and put it up. And then we put all of our races on and then kind of where, we're, where our training was like. And so we can know what we're each doing. And then that's a, a easier, clearer way we could support each other too. Mm, for sure. Um, I'm specifically curious about the pacing situation because I know many of the times that I've been out there pacing friends of mine, there comes those times when, you know, everything's going great. You pick up the pacer, they're feeling, or pick up the runner, they're feeling good. But then there's those darker times when like, you got to really put out the tough love. And how do you manage that when you're in a, you know, a relationship, not a friend relationship, but like a partner relationship, something like that. Like, have you, have you been able to figure that out? So for Natu pacing me, all he needs to say is, you know, if you don't go faster, you're not going to make it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and he gets these little mantras going. For him, though, he's a little harder for me to help turn him around because he gets this analytical mind and he's got this calculator in his head and he starts calculating. So sometimes I tried the tough love and I was trying it so hard. I was like, well, I don't want to make you mad. Right. <laughs> I didn't want him to quit. You know, I know he has all this potential, but sometimes, you know, people get in their mindset mm. that they just don't want to do it anymore. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it is their race and how much we want them to finish. It isn't our race, but we have to do our best to do that. And I, I try and he, he's, um, I think for him, I'm easier for him to pace me because I'm pretty, all you have to do is tell me I won't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know for any any future pacers. <laughs> yeah, pacing pacing a significant other is is a hard thing. It's uh, I've only done it a couple times in the I will say the time that I paced Samantha at uh, Rio de Lago. She didn't have the best of experiences and, and days and so it was a long night of walking and we uh, I think it definitely made a relationship a lot stronger it's um, it didn't seem at the time but you know, we're, we're still together so yes kudos <laughs> to you guys because I know every every time you guys face each other you're just building building that relationship a little bit stronger exactly yeah, exactly. Good for you, Paulo. <laughs> I hope she's watching. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things I've also been wondering a lot about is, um, and the fact that, I mean, both of you really, I mean, you've both done a fantastic number of races. Um, you personally, uh, I think last year did 600 milers in a year, um, huge number. Uh, can you just talk to us and, and maybe even to like some of the newer ultra runners, like what's your recovery process like? Do you have specific things that you do? Does your body just have an innate ability to recover that you've discovered? What is it that allows you to get both mentally and physically like from one of those hundreds to the next? So mentally is the desire to want, you know, it's that drive that drives me. And physically, um, I, in 2015, I was, I think in my, my first year of doing that, I was amazed at how well I was recovering. So I have, I believe it has a lot to do with rest and food, especially staying real, really well hydrated. And in each of those hundred milers, my weight didn't fluctuate at all. So it's taking care of myself throughout the hundreds as well, you know, eating and drinking. Um, and then Epsom salt baths, getting good sleep, eating healthy. Um, I just, it just worked. Um, but I, I, I do believe the mental attitude, because on any event, you finish, your finish is 80% mental and 20% physical. And so on anything that we do, it's the mental attitude that backs it up. 
It's the belief that I want, you know, I'm, I'm driving, driven to do this and what do I need to do to actively recover? And so it was the Epsom baths, the massages, um, my own, um, I think my uh, internet's unstable. Can Did you lose me there for a second? Oh, um, I think we can see it. Yeah, my thing, our, our internet was a little unstable there. Um, yeah, massages, rolling, yoga. <laughs> so. Basically, any modality you can find is, is not a bad thing, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, but, but, the, but the short time between some of these hundreds, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, I mean, to me, like, I've only done 100 so far, and it, I mean, and hopefully it'll get better over time, but I mean, it legitimately took me eight weeks before mentally, like physically, I might have been there a little sooner, but mentally, just the, the will to go out and run even hard was was not there for almost two months i'd say so it's it's a testament to your desire i guess to to go to that next one uh, to be able to, to you know find that strength so um i think that the the biggest thing i challenged myself with was um two years ago i was really curious if i could do back-to-back -back hundreds and I had ran Havelina, and the weekend after that was Rio del Lago. And so my plan for Havelina was to do it real comfortably. I knew it was my ninth Havelina, so I knew how to run it. I knew what it was about, and I knew what I needed to I knew how I wanted to feel when I finished. So I knew I didn't want to go out and do a 24-hour Havelina. I wanted to do a 27-hour Havelina. And then we flew home the next day, I believe. And I did Epsom salt baths three days in a row. I rolled, I did yoga here, and that, you know, your you little yoga thing on the TV. Um, I did yoga here. Um, I didn't do massages um, because it was a short period and I didn't know what it would be like to step toe the line at um, Rio del Lago. <clears throat> no running, no biking, no swimming, nothing. It was just all rest and recovery. And then when I towed the line for, for uh, Rio, and I started running, I felt awesome. <laughs> I was blown away how, how good I felt. And um, I was just stoked. And so then um, I finished both of them. And then last year I did it again and I did each of them an hour faster than I did the prior year. So I was pretty, pretty stoked with that. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's all about recovery, I guess, when, when you get into something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, and it sounds like you've found kind of what works for you. And then hopefully, you know, anyone else that's interested in pushing their limits like that can somehow hone in on the thing that works for them as well. Right. But I think, I think the things that you're doing, like, I think a lot of those can apply to any of us, uh, which is great. Right. Excellent. Uh, so I think we've <laughs> well, already, it's an hour. And so we've got so much more, but I know we have some audience questions. So I'd like to loop them in here. <coughs> Is that good for you, Paulo? Do you have any other? Yeah, no, no, no. Let's, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to bring Karen back in our time to continue Absolutely. on because there's so many questions to fill in. It's, it's, uh, you know, with over 250 raises and those just sign up alone, <laughs> how can you fit that in in an hour? It's, uh, right. And, um, yeah. So well, let's go ahead and, uh, move forward to the, uh, questions from the audience. So Mike, if you can please go ahead and, um, fill it in. Yep. So I have a, a number of questions on Facebook, as you know, we're, we're streaming live here. So Jesse, Jesse Ellis is a, a longtime Auburn person. He's now in Arizona. He has a couple questions. One, he wants to know, does, do you have a favorite book or community leader that has inspired, that has inspired you? Um, the one person that I have always admired is Megan Laws. Um, just her stamina and what her accomplishments have been, you know, over the years. She's, to me, she's just been my idol. And to re reading books, no, I haven't read any books on running, really. <laughs> uh, that's good. And he has another question. He wanted to know, uh, 
other than Western states, what, what race has really captured your heart as like one you just really just love? I'd have to say Vermont. Hmm, there you go, Greg. There you go, yes. I'll be doing it next year. <laughs> oh, right on. I love Vermont. I have one more I want to do and um, it's just been a, it's a fun race. Yeah. A lot different than out here, though, I'm guessing, terrain-wise and climate. I, I actually grew up in New England, so, I mean, I'm familiar with the area up there, but I've never done an ultra, so it should be a very different experience. Thank you. Nice. Uh, and so, and Jessica Harris is usually on Zoom tonight, but she's having some Zoom challenges. Uh, she had asked, asked a similar question. What has been your favorite race? So maybe that, maybe Vermont. Yeah. Uh, and I have a question, you know, I know you have, you have children, adult children, and I, I have adult children and any of your children into bike racing or, or running or anything like that? So my youngest though is my most athletic and he and I've done um, half and full Ironman together. Um, I have ran with my kids on their first marathons. My, I have a daughter um, and two boys. And I ran with my daughter-in-law and my son um, on their first marathon, and I ran with my daughter on her first marathon. Wow. <clears throat> that is pretty, pretty neat. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I uh, – who – I think Kelly Barber – do you get to run with any uh, horses? I think Kelly has asked. Yeah, we at Vermont, at Vermont when the very first year we I did it, Natu and I were doing it together. I didn't know anything about it. He started at four o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> um, so we're running along, running along, running along, and we're an hour into the race, hour plus, and all of a sudden we hear this noise. I'm like, "What the heck is that noise?" He goes, "Well, turn around and look. You got the horses chasing you." <laughs> so it's a horse race at the, as well, which makes it even more fun. <laughs> You're on the same course at the same time as this is all happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and lady, I saw, um, she had pulled her horse aside. I'm like, is the horse okay? And she's like, well, he's misbehaving and he's getting scolded right now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, that could happen with a typical runner pacer interaction as well, I'm sure, right? Or <laughs> <laughs> crew member. Or crew member. <laughs> Most of the time. Right. <laughs> That's all we have for now. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Mike, for fielding all those. Okay. All right. Well, um, I think we would love to stay a lot longer uh, to talk to Karen a little bit more and to learn about all this uh, amazing adventures that you've done. I mean, I am excited to bring you back here and, and talk about some of the adventures outside of the United States. I know that that's, uh, you know, especially, you know, the uh, UTMB is, uh, or being in Europe and Greece, it's, it's, it's on the bucket list for a lot of the runners. And uh, it's always great to, to share that experience with others uh, just so we can fill them in and, you know, kind of get, get their idea of what to do and what to do out there. Well, Natu's done, because he's the one that did Spartathlon, and he's done Badwater, and he's done um, the Sahara Desert, and um, Marathon de Saab, and that kind of stuff. So um, so what you're saying is he's an excellent guest in the coming weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, talking about um, the following weeks. After this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talking about the following week, we are excited to announce that next week we'll have Cooney uh, joining us oh, yay. Uh, on Zoom. We are excited to learn about Cooney. Cooney is a local runner in the Sacramento area, and Cooney has done amazing stuff. He is the he's done Hard Rock a bunch of times. He's been up. Uh, he's done Hurt 100 in Hawaii. Uh, he's on Western States. He is just a machine. Uh, so we're looking forward to talking to Cooney and to learn more about him too. Yeah, but nice. we definitely we definitely want to thank you, Karen, for spending this hour with us. Um, it's always illuminating to kind of hear about, you know, the physical aspect of this sport, but 
I personally am really also very interested in learning about the, the motivation, the mental aspect, what drives people, how they get through the hard times, and then eventually reach that finish line that they just want to be at so badly. And uh, I think you've just got, you, you gave us some, some great insights on that. We obviously have a lot of video evidence of, of the drive that you have, and, and we just really appreciate that. And I think a lot of us can just aspire to just push ourselves to that level in the future. So thanks so much for, uh, for spending the time with us. No, thanks for inviting me. And thanks for what you guys are doing too. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll just keep on going with it as long as we can. Right. And for everybody out there watching us, uh, please be safe. Uh, we're excited to that the state of California is kind of is starting to open up and we're able to see our friends uh, more in a more in a non-virtual way, hopefully. So uh, our store is open four days a week. We're open uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, Tuesday from 12 to 4, Wednesdays 1 to 5, Thursdays 2 to 6, and Saturdays 11 to 3. So swing by and say hi. We will continue to expand our hours as um, things get easier and more people start coming in and saying hi because uh, there's no point of me hanging out here all day long if you don't come in. <laughs> for sure. All right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. And tune in next week for Kuni Yamagata. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank right. you. Have a great evening. Bye.